Hello and welcome back to The Drew View. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about Biden's first veto against the Republican Congress, states looking for ways to deal with the fentanyl crisis, Putin and Xi's meeting, and more on the situation with former President Trump. I'm Drew Bennett, and you're listening to The Drew View. All right, the first thing I want to talk about today is Biden's veto of new ESG investments. So Biden today vetoed his, uh, yesterday that is, it's today when I'm recording, yesterday when you're hearing this, he vetoed the first bill from the Republican Congress that would ban the government from considering the environmental impacts or potential lawsuits, social impacts, things like that, when making investment decisions for American retirement plans. Okay, so you might be thinking, you said ESG investments. What does that mean? Well, I was kind of curious myself. I knew a little bit about what ESG investments were, but I'm going to break it down a little bit more for you. So from my research, what I have gathered is that ESG investing is investing that prioritizes optimal environmental, social, and governance factors or outcomes. So that's where the ESG comes from, right? So environmental, social, and governance factors. It's investing that's, you know, widely seen as a way of investing sustainably, where investments are made with uh, consideration of the environment, of human well-being, uh, economic well-being, etc. Um, one thing I find interesting about this is when I was doing my research on it, they were saying that uh, doing investments like this is not something that has never been done before. It's been done in different places, such as Islamic places would uh, invest in different places that are in line with their, uh, you know, religious ideology and things like that. And one thing I thought that was kind of interesting about that is that this is talking about uh, environmental and social and governance factors, and that's not really religious. So I don't really see the correlation there. But they're kind of saying that it's basically investment where you don't necessarily put the economic uh, point of view first, you put other factors above it. Now, I have my own kind of thoughts on this. ESG, I think it's kind of a little bit strange. I think that investing in the way that's going to help best economically is probably what's the smartest thing to do, especially at this point in time where we have bank failures and high inflation, all these other things that are happening. I think that uh, kind of one of the lesser things that we need to be worrying about is the environmental or social or governance factors. I think that those definitely are important. And those are definitely things that will play a role down the road. But especially in times of financial crisis, I think that uh, making investments based on, you know, these kind of different agendas and things like that is not our best priority. And it's not the best way we can spend our American uh, citizens' retirement savings. So the critics of this ESG say that, you know, allocating money based on political agendas rather than earning the best returns for savers uh, you know, it's it's just trying to be woke. It's not trying to actually do what is best for the people whose money that they're actually using for this, which I do sort of agree with to an extent. It's like uh, at the end of the day, we need to be doing what's best for these people who worked hard for their money and they deserve to uh, have the best return on their savings, not just uh, what's going to help out the you know different groups that most uh, you know directly rely or are directly connected to different political ideologies. And but again, on the other hand, supporters say that it's more sustainable, it prevents possible disasters. Um, but my thoughts on that are it's kind of not the time right now to be playing around when we have kind of a financial crisis in a way because we have 
failing banks and high inflation and things like that. And it seems to me that our best bet would just be to do what's going to give them the best return on their savings. However, I think those are those factors are important to an extent, just not the extent that I think we are trying to do with this ESG investing. This is the first bill from the Republican Congress that Biden has vetoed. Uh, I think it took like two Democrats, senators, uh, two Democratic senators, sorry, to vote yes on this legislation for it to get through to his desk. And uh, I think that happened and he vetoed it. And, you know, he said that uh, it would put at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country. And I'm just thinking about how, how is investing in what's going to give the savers the best return? How is that putting at risk the retirement savings of individuals across the country? Uh, I understand that, yes, you have to consider environmental factors, but the people who are retired and looking for that money now, I don't think that anything is going to happen environmentally within the next, uh, you know, 20, 30 years that they're going to be uh, potentially collecting on this that is going to, uh, you know, I don't think anything's going to happen that soon that they are going to be super concerned about. Now, do I think for future generations, it is important to maybe consider these things and have that play a small factor? Absolutely. But if we're going to consider the environmental and social and governance factors above the plain economic factors, it's really going to harm the people who are saving their money for this. And I have my own kind of mixed thoughts on this. And I want to know kind of what you guys think. What do you think about this ESG investing? Do you think it's the best for our country or not? Let me know either on social media or by emailing me at thedrewviewshow at gmail.com. I'm interested to see what you guys think. All right, the next story I want to get into is the fentanyl crisis and how that is continuing and how states are trying to deal with that. And new information is coming out all the time on states that are trying to find ways to deal with this crisis that is plaguing the country. You know, we have states that are pushing for harsher penalties for possessing fentanyl and other opioids. If you don't know, these this fentanyl and other opioids similar to it are causing roughly 70,000 deaths per year, which is just a really jaw-dropping number that that many people are dying per year of these overdoses. Now, two-thirds of drug overdoses that happen in America are fentanyl-related, which is another super jaw-dropping statistic, and it just shows how bad this fentanyl crisis is becoming. Now, most of it arrives from Mexico. You know, that brings up a whole nother question with how is the lack of border security that we're seeing in our country, how is that leading to this crisis and how is that contributing to all of these deaths that are occurring? How are we going to be able to stop that? You know, there are so many questions that come up with this topic. And another one of those is how do we address all these deaths when some people actually do seek this help, but others don't even know that they're taking it because it's mixed with other drugs? You know, how are we going to go about stopping that from happening? How do we punish those people? It's just a very complex issue with so many sides. But one thing I did want to share that I thought was, again, super jaw-dropping, and I think this is something worth uh, just taking a step back and really listening to and saying, wow, this is just incredible to me. So this is from a Stars and Stripes article, and it says, ingesting two milligrams of fentanyl can be fatal, meaning that one gram, about the same as a paperclip, paper clip could contain 500 lethal doses. Now think about that for a second. Just pause. One gram of fentanyl that's the size 
of a paperclip could kill 500 people. 500 people. I know I keep repeating this, but this is just astonishing to me. It is mind-boggling. The size of a paperclip. And if you have people smuggling this in in such high quantities, do you know how many people can die from uh, the amounts that we're seeing smuggled in that we're not even catching? If a paperclip size amount, a paperclip size amount could kill 500 people, how many do you think uh, these people that are smuggling in whole loads of it from Mexico, how many people do you think that could kill? It is just astonishing to me, and it's something that we have to address. I read that, and I, I, I still can't get over that. 500 people in the size of a paperclip. That's insane to me. But again, it just brings up the same questions. Like, will harsher punishments help? Is that what the answer is? Is punishing these people harder? Is that what's going to help? Former President Trump always mentioned, you know, you see, they never have a drug problem in what countries are those? China, Japan, I forget what country he says, but they don't have a drug problem there. So what do we got to do? We got to be like them. We got to execute all the drug dealers. We got to kill them. We got to murder them. Now, I don't think, you know, that's the best decision per se. I think that there might be some merit to that, but I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that makes sense? I don't think we need Donald Trump being the one that makes our decisions on things like that. But if nobody else has any better ideas, I mean... Anyone else, come up with something. We got to figure something out because we cannot keep having this. Do I think we need to ramp up border security? Absolutely. I think that's a huge part of it. But I think that we definitely need to also look into other options on how to deal with this problem, how to get these drug dealers off the streets, how to get these drugs off the streets. And if you have any ideas, I think you need to send them to your politicians, uh, send them to your elected officials. Tell them something needs to be done about this. Right now, I want to talk about something else that's in the news lately, and that is President Xi Jinping arrives in Russia to meet with his, quote, dear friend, Vladimir Putin. Putin hosts his dear friend Xi right after a court called for Putin's arrest, the international court, that is. You know, this is just astonishing to me that this whole situation is happening. It's just bizarre. You know, Xi and Putin, they praised each other the whole time, kissing each other's butt, talking about how awesome they are, how good of friends they are. And, you know, it had been rumored that a visit was planned between the two of them. Uh, and of course, it just, in a just a kick in the nuts to the Western world, they decide to do this meeting right after they called for Putin's arrest, right when a warrant was issued for his arrest. You know, that's just them flicking a middle finger to the rest of the world. And it's really annoying. You know, we look at this situation and this did not have to happen. This shouldn't be happening. It's just bizarre to me. U.S. leaders even believe that China may be preparing to further arm Russia to give them more weapons. You know, Zelensky says that if they do that, they're going to be starting World War Three. And I don't know how much merit there is to that. But one thing I do have to say is we got to do more. I don't know what needs to be done. But something needs to be done because we are going to be in the midst of World War III before this is all said and done. And I think that's super dangerous. You know, one thing I got to give Trump credit as much as, you know, a lot of people don't like to do this. And a lot of people, you know, won't talk about this as much as maybe they should. I don't know. Is that Donald Trump never did get us into World War III. It was rumored, you know, when he came into office that, oh, he's going to be the start. He's going to be the one that starts World War III between Russia and 
North Korea, it's just going to be a disaster. And he, and he never did. And that's one thing we do have to give him credit for, I think, is he never did get us into war. We never saw a huge war when he was president, which I do think is something that is good that he did. I think his foreign policy was a little bit better than the current administrations. You know, you look at the Afghanistan withdrawal. I think that uh, that was just a big botched situation by the current administration. I also think that what happened with Russia and Ukraine never had to happen. I think the biggest thing with Donald Trump when he was president that a lot of people, I don't know how many people understand this versus how many people just claim that Trump was better at foreign policy just because they're Trump lovers or what. But the thing that I always say about Donald Trump is the guy was crazy and that worked for our advantage. That also worked for a disadvantage because in foreign policy, it was good because Donald Trump could say he could look Putin in the eye. He could look uh, you know, Kim Jong-un in the eye, he could look President Xi Jinping in the eye and say, hey, if you harm us, if you invade another area, anything like that, you do anything crazy, I'll have Moscow bombed, I'll have, uh, you know, different places in North Korea, wherever it is, you know, North Korea, China, I'll have them bombed. And they would look at him and they they would probably think that there's a 90% chance, maybe a 95% chance that he's bluffing. But that guy is so nuts that there's a 5 to 10% chance that he's actually telling the truth and that he might drop a freaking bomb on us. And I think that's one thing that Trump did well is he was intimidating. And a lot of people didn't like that about him. But that worked to our advantage in foreign policy. I think that was, that's kind of my conclusion from it. I think that he was not afraid to put the hammer down if he had to. And I think when he said something, they obviously took it with a grain of salt. They probably thought that he was 90 to 95 percent chance that he was just bluffing. But they weren't willing to take that chance. They weren't willing to take that minute chance that he was telling the truth and he was going to have their city blown to smithereens, would have them killed, would have innocent civilians in their country killed. They weren't willing to take that risk. I don't think that this president that we have now is as intimidating or people fear him as much. And I don't think that he would. I don't think he's as crazy. Uh, some of the things he does, I think, are kind of crazy. But I don't think he is as nuts as Donald Trump was. Uh, sorry, former President Trump was. But I think that that did work to his advantage at times. I think that did work toward President Trump's advantage at times. I think having a leader that is just a little bit more strong-willed than what we have now would be extremely important in preventing conflicts like this in the future, and even from getting this one stopped. This last topic I really don't want to talk about because I'm sick of hearing uh, former President Trump's name in the news over and over and over again. I'm just, I want his name out of the news. It's always in there, just, gosh, I just want it out. But I don't want to keep talking about this over and over, so I'm just going to make this really quick. It's about his alleged arrest tomorrow. I guess that's what we're calling it now, the alleged arrest. So Republicans are calling on the Manhattan DA to testify to Congress on why this decision was made, if it is in fact made, saying that it's just going to erode confidence in the even-handed application of justice, that it's going to interfere with the 2024 election, and that a politically motivated prosecutorial decision is being made. And it's not something that is being done for the benefit of the people is just being done for political reasons. That is what the Republicans are saying, and that is why 
why they're going to be calling on Mr. Bragg to testify to the Congress if the decision is in fact made to arrest President Trump tomorrow. Now, responding to that, Representative Daniel Goldman from New York said that defending Trump is not a legitimate legislative purpose for Congress to investigate a state district attorney. It's just not what they need to be doing right now, which I totally agree with. Absolutely correct. But I think going after Trump is also not a legitimate concern when Manhattan is seeing crime spike and is absolutely riddled with crime. I don't think that should be the number one priority right now. I think that that should be left for other people to deal with not the Manhattan DA, when there is a city that is completely riddled with crime. If he could get crime down and then wanted to focus on Trump, that's one thing. But when you see crime running rampant and then all you want to focus on is Trump, 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 I don't think that's the thing that needs to be happening. And the last thing I'll say is DeSantis, Trump's likely largest Republican rival in 2024, even called the Manhattan DA a Soros-funded prosecutor and saying he's just weaponizing his office. And one thing I do think is interesting is this is one thing all Republicans agree on, which is very rare these days. You know, you have Mike Pence, who is trying to distance himself from Trump. You've got Ron DeSantis, who is actively pretty much running against Trump. And Trump has been bashing him and calling him Ron DeSanctimonious, you know, all these different things. All of these things are building up, but all Republicans do agree that this is a abuse of power and that they are weaponizing the government. Now, I'm not going to comment on that. That is just how the Republicans are viewing this. And I really, I'm going to be honest really quick, just I hope this arrest doesn't happen tomorrow just so I don't have to keep talking about this over and over and over and over because I am really sick of hearing President Trump's name in the news 24-7. Like, come on, can't we find other things to talk about? There are more important things to talk about. There's got to be. Anyway, that's all I wanted to say. Lastly, I typically talk about this at the very end of the episode after, you know, at the end of the outro music, but I do want to let you guys know that would so greatly appreciate you subscribing to my show, sharing it on your social media platforms, uh, rating the show, reviewing the show, different things like that. I would love your help in keeping me from stagnating to help me get on maybe Apple Podcasts new and noteworthy section. I think that would be so incredible if I could get enough views, enough subscribers, enough followers, things like that, that I could get at the top of Apple Podcasts new and noteworthy section and get all sorts of new listeners. I just think that would be awesome. I know it might be a big dream and it might be far-fetched, but I think it can happen. I just want to say, please share this show if you are enjoying it. I would love for more people to hear what I have to say and so my voice can reach a larger audience. Finally, I just want to let you know that you can actually expect a YouTube launch in the next month or two. I'm going to be ironing out all the details for that, getting that ready, and I'm going to be launching on YouTube in the next month or two, so I would love your support in that. And just the last thing I want to say is you can look forward to and be prepared for ways that you can help the show grow in the future with new memberships and things like that, and I will be talking about that at a later date, but just be ready for that. Thank you guys for all your support. I'm going to close in prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for another episode. I want to thank you for just the time to talk about these different topics. I pray for everybody listening. I pray that you be with them as they go throughout their day. Father, I pray for the people of Ukraine. I pray for all the families that have to deal with loved ones passing away because of this senseless war. Father, I just pray for our country. I pray for our leadership. We greatly need it, Father. I just ask that you always be with our leadership. Give them wisdom. I want to thank you for another day that you've given us. Thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.
just want to echo what I mentioned earlier. Just be sure to subscribe to the channel. Be sure to share with all your friends. Let them know what's going on over at the Darum View. Thank you again for your constant support. I really appreciate it. I'm into my second week. Can't wait to keep going strong. I'll see you guys tomorrow. And until then, stay blessed.